Amen. All right, well, we're going to turn our uh, attention to Scripture now. If you want to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 14, or if you have one of those fancy Bible devices, uh, I call it a phone. Some people call it a phone, uh, but you can open that up as well. Uh, we're totally cool with uh, whatever way you read your Bible. Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 25 through 33. And is this week was going on, I was uh, preparing uh, for this message, and I was thinking about, you know, we all have different perspectives. We look at things differently, and uh, I found this image uh, that hopefully we can put up on the screen. Yes, there you go. We all have different perspectives, right? Uh, so what do you think? Is it, is it a six or a nine? Both. Both. Okay, all right, there you go. Um, of course, our perspective doesn't just depend on where uh, we're standing. It also depends on where we live. Uh, it depends on our age, our gender, the color of our skin. Uh, it can uh, depend a lot on the experiences that we've had. Our perspective changes based on those different things. I was thinking about a conversation that I had with uh, Isaac Bua. Uh, he uh, attends uh, church here, has helped lead worship. He's helped uh, run cameras and sound and all sorts of things uh, this past year. He's a student at uh, Minnesota State University, uh, Mankato. And uh, we were having a conversation about his experience here in the United States. And he said, you know, before coming here, I had, you know, this particular image that everybody in America was sort of rich. Uh, and, you know, all he knew was what he saw on like kind of what Hollywood portrays. And he said, my image of the United States has changed drastically uh, since moving here and living here. He said, what's interesting is that I find similarly, uh, Americans look at Africa and they think third world country, everybody needs water, like they're, you know, they're all sort of living in huts and sticks. And uh, he said, you know, I live in a big city. It's very much like living in the United States. And I think, uh, you know, Case in point, our perspective changes when we experience different things. And I want to ask you today, have you ever thought about what colors your experience? What sort of makes you look at things the way that you look at them? Well, we're in a series uh, titled, When the Journey Gets Hard. It's a series for difficult days. And your perspective can make a big difference in how you experience difficulties. And I think we can say, I think I can say with confidence, that this year has been a challenging year for all of us. In fact, I've, I read an article this week that said that some, this, this year has been one of those years where we've had the sustained difficulty for the longest that most of any of us have experienced as a community in our lifetimes. Uh, of course, some of us have experienced difficulties, specific difficulties to our life, but as a community, we haven't faced this kind of difficulty for this length of time uh, in our lifetime. And so we decided, you know, what, what would it look like for us to do a sermon series on living in difficult days? So last week, we talked about the idea of perseverance and how God helps us to persevere in the midst of difficulty. And this week, we get to talk about perspective and how God uh, can help us with our perspective. And when we're dealing with difficult days, when we're dealing with difficulty, God invites us to shift our perspective from the thing that we're wrestling with uh, to him. So hopefully you have your Bible device or your Bible. 
uh, open. You can also follow along on the screen. Uh, we'll start in Matthew uh, chapter 14, verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking, and he's talking to the, about the disciples, walking out on the lake. Uh, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. <laughs> it's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So I want to help us kind of enter into this passage a little bit, kind of put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples and think about what they're experiencing, what their perspective is as they are wrestling uh, with this particular incident. So if we think about this, earlier in the chapter we found out at the beginning of Matthew chapter 14 that Herod has beheaded John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, and it says in other places in Scripture that John the Baptist has prepared the way for Jesus, including the fact that John the Baptist literally was the one who baptized Jesus. And so there's, this, there's a close relationship here. And so to have a friend have their head chopped off and literally presented on a platter you can understand how they might be feeling at this point. If you thought of a friend who had that happen to them, that would be a little crazy and disturbing. So, responding to that, they get into a boat and they go across the sea. They plan to go across the sea. But there's a huge crowd that follows Jesus to the other side. And the disciples, when they get to the other side and see this crowd that has followed them, are like, Go home. <laughs> but Jesus has compassion on them, and he says, you feed them. So they literally now take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people. It's a miracle. And then Jesus sends them on their way, and he sends the disciples on their way. He says, go out into the boat and go to the other side, and I will meet you there. So he goes up uh, to the mountain by himself to get some reprieve and some rest. The disciples get out into the boat, uh, in, out into the middle of the lake, and somewhere around uh, the early hours of the morning, midnight or something, they run into the waves and the wind that's blowing against them, and they are caught. And uh, it says right before dawn at the beginning of our passage, so it's kind of the darkest hour of the night, you know, between the hours of kind of 3 and 6 a.m. when you can maybe start to see some things, but it's, you know, just barely, is when they have this experience of being tossed about in the wind and the waves. So I think we can understand their fear. We can understand what it's like to be in that space where we have experienced trauma or where we have experienced difficulties, tired from the wind and the waves beating against us. We face tragedy in our lives. Last week, Sandy talked about a number of you, and we've heard from you and the difficulties that you faced over the course of this past year, some of you physical challenges, um, dealing with cancer in your families or dealing with pain um, in your back. Like, you've dealt with real things that have been difficult. And the disciples are tired from ministry, and many of you, you've been serving, you've been coming here early in the morning, you get here early to set up. And you stay here late to help take down you lead small groups and you do all of these things. 
And then we can think about the broader tragedies and the experiences that we've experienced as well. We can think about what happened this past week up in Brooklyn Center and uh, Dante Wright being killed by a police officer. And the world already had its eyes on Minnesota, watching the Derek Chauvin trial. And as I watched some of those things unfold this week, I grieved. And maybe many of you were grieving as well as we argue about who's at fault, as we think about is this an isolated incident or is this a broader systemic problem that we have? People are arguing about these things right now and we're all like, ugh, right? Why can't we just get along? Unless we think that these, those things are just happening up in the Twin Cities, I saw an article this week that said that there were some stickers posted around the campus uh, that were uh, a little uh, flammatory towards people uh, of Jewish background, and so they removed those, good for our police department. Um, but friends, we can get a sense, if you think about all of those things, personal and communal, how it can feel like we're in the middle of the lake, just like the disciples, we're facing the wind and the waves, the challenges in our life. We can feel that like them. And that's why I want to remind you of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 this morning. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When we feel these things, may we be reminded that these are not fights against one another as much as they are fights against the evil one at work in us and in those around us and in our world. And the disciples felt that that morning in those early hours as they were fighting the wind and the waves. Well, back in the story, they're in the middle of the lake, and I want you to notice, where is Jesus? As they're fighting against the wind and the waves, as they're fighting to get to the other side, where's Jesus? It says that he's walking out to them. When they're in their darkest hour, just before dawn, Jesus is literally walking out on the water to them. And when they initially see him, they're terrified because it's dark and they don't know what's going on. But immediately, Jesus comforts them. He says, take courage. It is I. You don't have to be afraid. And I think for us, I want to remind us that when we're in the middle of the lake, when we're fighting these things, whatever they are, when we're fighting these challenges, Jesus is there for us as well. Jesus is always there for us, for you. And I know it's hard. When we're in the middle of the lake, it's easy to focus in on the wind and the waves, the challenges that are around us. You might even see a ghost. Or more likely, you might, you might just not know that Jesus is there. You might just be so engrossed in the wind and the waves that you miss that Jesus is actually walking out to meet you. But he is there. And notice when the disciples do see him, they cry out, and Jesus reveals himself. He tells them 
who he is. It is I. And that's referring all the way back uh, to the Exodus uh, passage where God says, I am. I am who I am. It's a comfort to them. They know that he is God. So we too can know that Jesus is there for us and Jesus is God. He is with us. And so I want to ask you, when you're in these difficult days, will you cry out to Jesus? Will you cry out to Jesus and ask him to help you? And then I want you to think about what it would look like for you to shift your perspective from the wind and the waves and the things that are crashing in on you or on our community. And what would it look to shift your focus to Jesus? As the story continues, Peter exemplifies how I think a lot of us experience this and respond to Jesus. This is fantastic. He says in verse 28, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. Jesus says, come. So then Peter literally gets out of the boat and walks on the water and came toward Jesus. He's literally walking on water. Now, Peter is a fisherman, so he's been out in a boat before, and he's been in the storms before. And if you're a fisherman and you've been in the storms, the last thing that you want to do in the middle of a storm is what? Leave your boat. You don't leave your boat in the middle of a storm. You stay with the boat, or at least whatever part of the boat that you can hold on to. But Jesus... But Peter has so much faith in Jesus that he is able to step out of the boat, leave the boat, and go out onto the water and trust Jesus. And I think, too, there are times in our lives when we have great amounts of faith and we can step out onto the water. We can follow Jesus into the unknown. We can do amazing things when we put our trust in Jesus, like Peter. I think about, you know, things that people look at us and go, what are you thinking? We had people tell us that when we adopted. But we felt like God was calling us to do that. And we can do amazing things when we trust in Jesus. But, Like Peter, we too can get distracted. So in verse 30, when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, this is so good, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt And when they had climbed back into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Like Peter, we are capable of doing amazing things. Things that people that don't follow Jesus just don't understand. But we can also be so gripped with fear. We see the wind and the waves and we get terrified and we begin to sink. 
And so I want to ask you today, what are the wind and the waves in your lives that cause you to doubt, that cause you to wonder about Jesus and the things that God is calling you to do? What are those things that cause you to doubt? Those, the wind and the waves that come at you. Well, recently, our staff team devotion, uh, devotions have been using a tool called the Enneagram. And if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it is about our core motivation and our core fears. And so we've been using this tool to study ourselves and get to know a little bit more about who we are and who God has created us to be. So the Enneagram identifies nine different types of motivation and fear among people. So some of our staff, uh, many of our staff are twos on the Enneagram, uh, which means that they fear being unloved. A number of our other staff at Crossview are sixes, and they fear being without support or guidance. And we have a few other numbers, uh, but I, I identify as a seven, and so for me, I fear being without support or more likely being deprived. And our, our staff meetings have been fascinating as we've looked at this, and as we've talked about how our fears impact our lives, and more specifically our work, because we work together. And they keep us from doing the amazing things that God has for us. And I wonder if it wouldn't help any of us, all of us, to discover more of who God has created us to be and how our brokenness affects our lives. Discovering what are your own, own core fears. If, you don't, if you're not already familiar with them, I mean, you don't need the Enneagram to tell you, but sometimes having a tool can help you uh, to kind of explore more of the reasons why you maybe do the things that you do. Well, back in the story, as fear sets in and Peter begins to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and says, you of little faith. Back in the boat, when the wind dies down, they realize that Jesus is truly the son of God. And the good news in this story is that even though Peter had little doubt, he knew who to call out to when he was in trouble. And I think for us, we don't have to have a lot of faith. I love the stories of Peter because Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But yet he had enough knowledge, enough faith to cry out to Jesus and he was saved. And so too for us, we don't need a ton of faith. We just need enough to know who to cry out to. To say, Jesus, will you save me? Will you help me in the midst of this storm? And I'll tell you, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be fixed right away. But what we know from this story is that Jesus will be with you in that storm. Jesus will be with you in whatever you experience. And we can turn our attention from the storm to Jesus. We can focus on Jesus. We can have a new perspective instead of the challenges that set before me or before you. We can look to Jesus. 
we can cry out to Jesus. When fear grips you, I invite you to do that. The other good thing about the Enneagram is it helps you to see the flip side of your core fear. And so for our staff that are our twos, that fear being in pain or sorry, being unloved, they can know that God loves them. And for our sixes, fearing being without support or guidance, God is always there to guide and support us. And for me, feeling like I might be in pain or being deprived, the invitation that God has for me is that God will always be with me and will meet the needs that I have. Here's the thing. When the wind and the waves are howling, our worst fears are realized. And it's hard to focus on Jesus. But I want you to know that Jesus is still there. Whether you see him or not, whether you think he's a ghost or not, Jesus is there for us. And I want to encourage you to figure out what are some of those core fears that you wrestle with? What are some of those core fears and demons that you wrestle with? The prevailing wind, I could call it, in your life. If you don't know, you might consider looking at the Enneagram. It could be a great tool. They have a number of tests uh, that you can take to help you kind of identify that. It's not necessary, but it it can be helpful. And then I want to invite you to look to Jesus and to cry out to Jesus. Read the Gospels, study your Bible, join a small group. Do the things that will help you connect with Jesus so that you can know who Jesus is. And then cry out to Jesus. You don't need a ton of faith, just enough to cry out to Jesus. As I was thinking about this this week, we were sharing in our staff team meeting about our challenges over the past year, the things that we've faced and the joys that we've had. My joy this year has been to be planting this church and to see people coming in contact with Jesus and growing in their journey with Jesus, growing to trust Jesus more and more. And a number of you have shared stories about how you have done that. And it encourages me. My challenge this year and our challenge this year has been to try to plant a church in the midst of a pandemic. I have a lot of people ask me, or say to me, it must be really challenging to plant a church in a pandemic. And they are right. It is very challenging to plant a church in the midst of a pandemic. It's challenging because, for me, the ways that I have reached out to people and connected with people in the past have largely been through hospitality. For my family, we would have people over at our house two to three nights a week, regularly, getting to know people. I would be out in the coffee shops meeting with people. I would go to a hockey game or to a basketball game and hang out with you. But in this pandemic world that we live in, it feels like if I focus on that, those things have been removed from me and removed from us. And so again and again, I've had to look to Jesus And I want to invite us as a church to look to Jesus. And when I've looked to Jesus, I remember that I don't need to connect with people just through those ways that I'm familiar with. I've found new ways to connect with people. And we have quite a few people 
I don't even know, it might even be a quarter to a third of our church who have started to come to this church. Literally, I've never met them in person or I've met them in person recently. Like, they've started to come to this church in the midst of the pandemic. And it reminds me, when I focus on Jesus, that Jesus is the one who is doing these things. He's at work, and I can trust in him. And I want to encourage you to focus your attention on Jesus. In the challenging times, to focus on Jesus. He is always there for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories of Peter and the disciples and the ways that they walked with you. It reminds us of the ways that we walk with you. We too have times where we have great faith in you. We trust, put our trust in you and we do these amazing things. And then other times where we fail and we look at the wind and the waves and we see the challenges and we get de- defeated and we get depressed. We get beat down. And we need your help. We need just enough faith to look to you and to cry out to you. Would you give us the faith to cry out to you. Would you help us to turn our eyes to you? Amen.